0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Harini Karthik, Head of Data at Loom. In this episode, we talked about the ideal data setup at a company, where to start, and how to build a data team that influences strategy and drives growth for the company. We also discussed why you should prioritize understanding the LTV of your customers as one of your first big data challenges, and broke down a step-by-step guide on how to do it. We dove into how to identify where your users are coming from, the tech stack you'll need, And lastly, how to set up your historical revenue tables for analysis and building out dashboards. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. These, these just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest-growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth.
1: How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. If you need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing.
0: Strategies, tactics, and ideas, brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode.
1: Hey, Harini, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Andrew.
0: It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Harini is the head of data at Loom, leading data science, analytics, and data engineering loom allows you to record video messages of your screen cam or both and has become a new standard in communications in the workplace prior to loom Hereny was the senior director of data sciences at shipped that was acquired by target vp and head of data at youcaring that that is acquired go by FundMe, and the list goes on so my first question for you Hereny, is what has been your process when choosing a new company to work for and how analytical do you get
1: Absolutely. I think there are a few key things I always look for. I think one is definitely the product, just making sure that it's a product that I really enjoy using. And I make sure that the second thing I would say is just the company and how data-driven the team and the company are, and just the caliber of the talent. Because I think, especially with startups in very early stages, Just by the caliber of talent, you can tell whether it's going to be successful. So I think making sure that I'm always working with people who are really brilliant and that I can learn from, that's I would say on the people side, but being data-driven is key. And then specifically the role itself, I've always looked for uh, centralized data teams where I've been heading all things data. And I think that is a very crucial part to me in making sure that data is successful in the organization and that we are using data to help drive growth for the company using data insights or data products. So making sure that we are a a very centralized team that's serving the needs of the entire company, I think has been very crucial to using data to drive growth.
0: Excellent. I want to dive into that in a lot more detail in a bit, but it's really interesting what you mentioned as well, like when you're choosing a company and the reason I asked you as well, because looking at your background, like being at a couple of companies that were acquired, like being at some big brands, it's interesting as well. We recently hosted uh, Rav Daliwal uh, on the show and he also like unbelievable background in terms of the companies he'd been at like Zendesk, Slack, Yammer, like the list was just like, it was extremely long. Salesforce, like Crazy how many companies like he had methodically picked. And the number one thing it came down to was, was it a product that he loved and did he use it himself? Did he see potential in the product? Interesting you mentioned as well that the ta- like caliber of talent as well. Because I think personally as well, that's just the number one uh, critical component as well. How do you assess that though, going into a company? Like w- what were you looking at? Like how would you know if the level of talent is good from the outside?
1: Yeah, I think what I look for is really a growth mindset and a collaborative culture. I think that's really the two things I would look for. And with growth mindset, I'm looking for generally people who just love learning. And for them, nothing is too small to do or to learn. They're just always learning and take every moment as a learning opportunity. And I think that growth mindset, I think is very important that that's something that I value a lot. And also a very collaborative Culture, because I personally thrive in harmony, and I really think that brings out the creative best in a lot of people. Making sure we're providing a safe environment, so I, I think that collaborative culture is something I look for. But beyond that, I think it, it's as you're talking to people, especially during interviews, I try to see: did I actually learn from this person, and do I do I do I want to? become more like that person and i think that's the question that i try to always ask myself it's more me interviewing companies than companies interviewing me i would say
0: nice yeah definitely and i think like you get that sense as well from an interview when speaking to someone like and it goes both ways like when you're interviewing candidates uh, for roles that you have open or uh, when you're interviewing you can generally get a sense of the person that you're speaking to is this somebody that i feel i could learn from or work with and uh, very cool going back into sort of the theme of today obviously churn fm we're going to be discussing churn retention but i really want to dive into sort of uh, the data science the data analytics side of things and how you can set your team up to understand the challenge and the problem. And you mentioned one of the things you look for in a company is typically where data is centralized. And this is one of the areas where you believe like success happens. So maybe you can just talk us through this, like companies thinking about getting data analytics set up at their company. Like What, for, in your opinion, is the ideal setup for data at a company?
1: Yeah, I think at a high level, data is a very broad space, but I would say I look at it as three different areas at a high level. I think one is more um, on the analytics side, which is helping understand, taking a look at the data, analyzing the data, understanding our trends. And then another is data engineering, which is building the data foundation on which analytics can be done, building all the data pipelines. So that data engineering is the foundation and the key and usually a large portion of the data team. And then, and then the third piece is more data science and machine learning. So these are building data products. And I also call it generally like a data products team because they're really building more sophisticated models and things that can be integrated into the product itself to drive growth. Think recommendation systems and many other things that can happen there. So I would say these are the three key pillars or or domains within data. But because we are so highly cross-functional, what I would say the analytics piece actually is very cross-functional because we we serve everything, every team from product to marketing, to sales, finance, exec, and like support and customer service, so many different teams. And that's where I think we create this little bit more of an embedded model. I would say that where we're still a centralized team, but we work, we have dedicated resources for each of the other orgs so that they get domain expertise and that they become a thought partner to all our stakeholders. And that way we can start using data to drive growth rather than being like, hey, go fetch me this data. Or rather than being a report builder, I really see us as more of thought partners. And really the mission for my team is to influence strategy and drive growth for the company. So... All our projects need to be aligned towards that. But at, at a high level, that's those are the three key, I would say, data engineering, data science, analytics. And within analytics, it's it, the key to making it work is it creating that partnership and dedicated resourcing for each of the various orgs
0: yeah, it's actually super similar to the way we structured things. Previously, I was hitting up a business intelligence at Hotjar and I also have a firm believer of having the centralized approach, but uh, distributed at the same time. One of my worries as well was that if you had analysts maybe working out of marketing and then you had a business intelligence team uh, looking into things and then you perhaps had somebody else embedded in a customer success or so everybody trying to bring in different analysts is that you never really have that shared expertise, that shared knowledge. You don't have, especially when it comes to analytics work like anybody to bounce ideas off to proof things for you just like you do code reviews you do uh, code reviews when it comes to analytics so what what have you found to be the most effective way because i think also i think depending on your team size like at the early stage perhaps you don't have dedicated resources that you can give to each team like how do you go about starting off in the beginning let's like maybe from the very beginning now you're around 60 70 employees like you maybe might've started a little bit late in terms of data, but you want to get started. In your opinion, what would be like the first thing that you absolutely need to get get done from the beginning?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of startups, in fact, when I join startups, typically it's the t- data team is two or three people and I help scale that to 30, 40 and you know, beyond as we grow. But I think that's where it becomes very critical to prioritize and making sure that there's stakeholder alignment and what gets prioritized because data teams are in a difficult situation because they're one of the last teams that are formed but the most critical team if you're trying to scale because a lot of decisions need to be made at that point so i think from that perspective there is that stage where prioritization becomes key and the way i think about businesses in in general is there is acquisition engagement and monetization and I think when we try to look at, we just need alignment on where the focus is for the company. If for a lot of early uh, startups, typically that's on the acquisition side, certain companies in more mid-stage, maybe shifting focus to engagement because you want more retention. And then for certain more mature companies, you want to optimize monetization and increase revenue more. So I think partly it depends on the stage of the company, the direction that the CEO and board really want, want things to go, but in a large majority, I think the focus has been very heavy on acquisition. I wouldn't say every company, but I would say yeah. a, a pretty good portion because we're trying to grow 10X. We're trying to go, grow big. And I think I, with that being a big focus, understanding where are, where customers are coming from and what is which channels are they coming from and which channels are the most driving the highest lifetime value customers. So I think some of the big problem, I think... One of, I would say it is a harder project, but as one of the first projects, I like to prioritize lifetime value of customers over time with the ability to slice by which channel they came from, which geography they came from, which product line. So I think that instantly allows you to understand and set, for example, CAC targets for paid marketing. And it instantly allows us to just understand overall how we're growing and how healthy our retention is, because LTV factors in um, retention and churn. So I would say it's one of those things where I would definitely say it depends on the, the priorities of the company, but I would definitely say on the acquisition side, something like where are users coming from and what's the LTV by with the ability to slice by various cuts, I think is very key. On the engagement side, if, if there are companies focused on that, I think it's definitely understanding what factors drive engagement and how do you make sure that you can get all users to get to those. So those are some things that come top of mind.
0: It's almost uh, identical breakdown in terms of the way we structured uh, things at OCHA as well, very much in line as well with our company objectives, uh, again, sort of thing. We had acquisition, we called acquisition, retention, engagement, same thing, and monetization. And I think the beautiful thing is like breaking the company up into those three pillars you can almost see how every team in the company aligns to those numbers. And you can see the inputs that they have that impact the final outputs. Uh, And I think at some point, we started getting to like a cascading metrics that trickled down to the organization so that almost every single team in the the company could see whatever it was that they were doing, how that would impact the metric above them, whether it was like acquisition, retention, or monetization, and then how that sort of uh, went up the chain. Uh, And I think, Getting to that point is a beautiful position because then it's really empowering and teams that can stop thinking about, okay, what are the metrics we need to be moving or like how do we understand the data and more about, okay, what are the tactics? What are the different ideas that we have that are actually going to move these metrics? I want to dive into the first point though today. I think it, it's a perfect uh, topic for the show as well. And I think we can go pretty deep on it as well when it comes to setting up acquisition by LTV and being able to break it down by different segments and being able to understand where your users are coming from. Because I think ultimately as well, being able able to acquire the right users and being able to acquire the users with the highest LTV is ultimately going to have a big impact on your attention overall. Let's break this down for the listeners. Let's take it step by step. Uh, You arrive at a new company now. They haven't got anything set up uh, like fresh data stack, maybe two, three people on the team, like you said, and this is the first project. You're going to help the company now get LTV by channel and so forth. What are the steps? How do you get started?
1: I think with with LTV, I think the first step is to understand, make sure that we have two key pieces of data. One is understanding where users are coming from, along with their geo and product line and any other cuts, making sure we have that data available. And then making sure that we have revenue data available that can be tied to the user level. And so I think those are the key ingredients I would say. And the second thing I would say is when it comes to lifetime value, it's a pretty broad and loaded term because there is historical lifetime value and then there's predictive life lifetime value. I would definitely encourage let's start with historical which is what we've already seen. And then so I think that's that's I would say on LTV. And then we want to make sure that we are trying to analyze data at a cohort level let's take a monthly cohort so if we want to take jan 2020 feb 2020 and march 2020 and follow what their what is their lifetime value month 1 month 2 month 3 and you draw out those curves and then you can start seeing what their ltv looks like and then once we have all of these curves at the cohort at the monthly cohort level with the ability to slice i think a future project can be predictive ltv you you have somebody month one you're predicting what their one year or two year LTV is. I think this pro. But I think this is, I think something very important to also make sure that everybody's aligned on what LTV do we also want to use as a break-even point? So do we want to break even at a one-year mark or a six-month or one month? And I think that's also like a strategic conversation to to also have. But I'm happy to dive into more technical details, but yeah, let me know where you want me to dive in.
0: Let's get technical today then. You started off, first of all, just understanding where the users are coming from. So Talk us through this a little bit, like maybe even what tooling uh, you'd want to use to track this. What would be your ideal tech stack perhaps to start and then, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So there are a few different ways uh, to approach this. And in my career, I've done it about two, three different ways. So there's one way of collecting events data because a lot of where users are coming from are captured using click events and view events that happen on the front end, which are called client-side events. And those events can be captured in many different ways. One example is some a tool we've, I've been using for several years now called Segment. So Segment it's a Segment. Yeah, a tool <laughs> that captures a lot of client-side as well as server-side backend events. And so we use capture all of that within Segment. Another way in the past I have done it is Google Analytics actually captures all this events data and they have all their data in the backend, which is BigQuery. So you can actually go query the raw data. And so I think that's another way. And then there is also internal tracking. So segment or not having segment or GA, but you can just have your engineering teams capture all this events data in-house and then just use that. So I think depending on the where the company is at, I think people choose different things. And also depending on the business model, because a lot of e-commerce transaction companies, I think Google Analytics works perfectly. If you are a subscription model with a, like different multi-sided marketplaces, I think like Segment or In-House is a better solution. So that's on the tooling side in terms of getting the data. I think the neat thing about tools like Segment is they also do all the data integrations for you uh, or a large portion of it, which means that once you capture the events in Segment from Segment, it loads straight away into our data warehouse, be it Snowflake or Redshift. In recent roles, I've been using Snowflake more, but I think there's Redshift and many others that really can be used in terms of a data warehouse. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and the beautiful thing as well, I think, with segment is that when you capture events through it, it sends it to every downstream destination. So your CRM intercom will have the same data as uh, Salesforce, as your data warehouse, everyone's seeing the same numbers, which is beautiful. So I think one of the challenges, though, when it comes to acquisition in the beginning is understanding okay where users are coming from so you mentioned using the tooling segment itself but to begin with you don't know who these users are like talk us through the process of identifying them and then how do you connect the historical history that the user has uh, once they become a user with their past visits to the site
1: yeah i think a few different things we do is first understanding so within all the segment data that we have we are able to understand when a user signs up, that's when a user ID is generated. and But you, there's another thing called anonymous ID, which is like a visitor ID, which you can trace all their touch points to the very first time they came in. So what, that ha- what we do then is we create a touch table, which is we create all the different touches that exist for a user until they sign up or convert. So we're able to then understand what was their first touch? What was their last touch? And we can get into every touch in the middle, but I would highly recommend people start with first touch and last touch. Get that right before diving into other things. So that's, I would say, the first part of understanding where users are coming from. So you're able to tie the user ID all the way to the channel or the campaign and geo and all the user agent type of things there. And then once you have the user ID internally, being able to map that to Activation rates, mapping that to retention rates, and then revenue, especially as we're talking about LTV, we want to make sure that we primarily make sure we have revenue at the user ID level over time. So we need to create that sort of a a model there and a table there. And then once you have it all at the user ID level, you literally join it all. So I know it sounds simple. It generally takes a year (laughs) for most companies to get this right.
0: Yeah. So just to recap that as well, like if you're using Segment itself, as you mentioned, they have a concept of an anonymous id a visitor visits to your site they get assigned an anonymous id the first time they might come back again like three weeks later so maybe the first time they came from facebook Three weeks later, they did a Google search and they came. They visited your site again. That anonymous ID would be fired, and then the time that they became a customer is when that uh, history would be connected with the anonymous ID with the user ID. Essentially, what you said, you have the table then of the different touch points, and in this case, it was just two. So the first and last would be first would be Facebook, last would be Google. So at that point, then now we at least have one part of the equation solved, is we identified users, and now we've connected that Black Anonymous history with user. You mentioned then being able to have a table then from historical revenue and what they've spent with you. Talk us through a little bit about what stack that you would typically recommend for this. Like, how are you pulling this data out? How are you getting a table together?
1: Yeah, with revenue data, so I think in recent companies, we've been using Stripe data for that. With Stripe data, we currently, I would say that there, while there are different ways to get it, so we currently have a couple of tools called Stitch Data and Census that helps pull in some of the Stripe data because we need it at a very granular level. So these are data, uh, these are, again, data integration tools that ju- just help pull the data out of the Stripe system. In some cases, there are, in some companies, the the in-house engineering team is able to pull that as well. So I think there are different companies can approach it differently. But the neat thing is there's so much innovation happening in the data integration space that there are amazing tools out there which have reduced a lot of that effort. So yeah, we, that's how, so we pull um, that data in and then and then we then stitch all, we make sure to, have the user ID data attached to the revenue data. And I think that's that's something that we that needs to happen. And in some cases that is a challenge if you are depend It depends on if you are a very b2c or versus b2b because with b2c like everybody has an individual subscription for example in my past company i was with shipped every every subscription had a user id tied to it what i think with other companies my current company we are we have individuals but we also have workspaces it's very slack we have workspaces and then we have people within a workspace as well and i think at this point the billing happens at a workspace level but then Revenue happens at an individual level. So trying to see what is the best methodology to allocate a lot of that revenue is, I think, something that needs to be internal conversations and also trying to get inputs from the industry. But yeah, so I think that's where getting to that is something that that, that helps eventually get to LTV
0: yeah and i think especially when in the b2b case uh, when you have a concept of like workspaces and users like that's when the layer of complexity just gets added uh, onto things and but i think it can be very interesting as well i think it it differs very like wildly depending on the type of product i think one thing i've noticed like when it comes to looking at different acquisition channels if you offer a freemium model there's not really much difference Uh, but if you have a higher touch sort of sales model where you might have three or four people in a company evaluating your product they might come over like several weeks from different channels then i think things start to look a little bit different in terms of you're looking at ltv by channel but i think it's like you said it could take up to a year to get to the point where you're able to actually understand not only the user level but also like multi-touch multi-user attribution and then be able to to look into sort of at the account level so instead of just having user level attribution you have account level attribution and being able to see those touch points so The steps again, we've got now the first anonymous IDs, we've identified them, we created a table with the user IDs and the anonymous visitor history. We have a separate table now with the user IDs again and the historical revenues. How do we tie it all together now? How do we start making use of it?
1: Yeah, I think now that we have the user ID as the main key, that now we can then join it all together. And just for simplicity's sake, we we keep it at the user level here. But yeah, assuming that you have that, then you know that, hey, someone coming from this particular campaign and what is their LTV? So we're able to make that just literally join join this data set together. So the end, I think result can be something like a, a, a dashboard that has just, I'm going to draw it out in the air, but it can have some curves of what does month one through 30 look like and by cohort month. So depending on when the user started and making sure that we understand what is that LTV that people are coming up with. But in the dashboard, having the ability to select which which channel you're looking at, which product line, which geo, and all of that, and within channel, I think it's important to have it first touch and last touch at the very least. So making sure you're able to toggle between what's initially bringing people to Loom versus what's helping convert. I think those are two two big pieces. I think this is I would say a V one. I think eventually where we need to get to is especially in the B two B space. There's a lot of sales involvement, right? In that, which I call there's a sales funnel meets marketing funnel. And I think that's where we need to get to that multi-touch of understanding what are those channels, including the sales channel. because the sales channel typically emails. comes after yeah. or in the middle. We don't want it to get lost. So I would say that's definitely something that we want to focus on as well.
0: Nice. And yeah, so you mentioned as well, then putting together a dashboard, you're able to see the different cohorts now, and breaking them down across different variables. Like, what are some of the interesting things then you've seen teams actually do with these dashboards? And how are they used internally? What are some of the most useful cuts you've uh, seen of them?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest use cases for lifetime value is twofold, I would say. The first one is it helps us understand how much we can spend to acquire users. I think that's fundamentally the number one key question. So LTV to CAC ratio, I think, becomes important because at that point we can determine, hey, here's the six one year LTV and then is that the break-even point we want or what What break-even point should we set? And then understanding, hey, how much should we should we really set? What cap should we set? Like how much can we spend to acquire a customer? I would say, and by channel, right? Because what we also see, some channels are actually bringing a, a higher LTV customers compared to others. Whereas some channels where we're spending a lot, maybe bringing low LTV customers. So there's an opportunity to reallocate spend. So I would say that's where it's, everything with mar- paid marketing is a big area that I think this is critical for. And it, it makes sure it answers the key question of, are we acquiring users profitable, profitably? I think that's really the key question we're answering with this LTV. The I think the other pieces that you also start digging in is how is ltv changing by different cohorts like are our more recent cohorts have lower ltv higher ltv is that if it has lower is it because there's more churn or is there an activation problem i actually feel like ltv can help diagnose issues as well and and make sure we're focused on 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 some of that
0: in some way. An, an interesting question that I want to ask because it sounds like as well, choosing a tool like Segment and you mentioned Stitch Data and you mentioned others, like there's definitely a notion of uh, buy versus build when it comes to your stacks. Why would you go ahead then and build something like an LTV, uh, dashboard and LTV model, like when tools, maybe I think even Stripe does give you something out of the box. Chart Mogul is revenue platforms out there that give you sort of these metrics. of the. What would be the pros and cons or building your own internal uh, model versus using a tool like
1: yeah I think using I, a lot of it depends on the level of sophistication and the business model right because certain business models that have multi-sided marketplaces it the complexity of the data is very high, where a lot of these out-of-the-box tools won't be able to easily handle it. Or even if you hack it, it's not going to last as long. So I think partly depends on, on really the that. And then the other piece, it depends on the, comp- on the actionability of the data, right? How sophisticated are your questions? And how much action are you able to take from those questions and answers, because a lot of these out of the box tools may give you high level visibility, but you may, it may not be able to answer the deeper questions that you truly need to to help solve or reduce those problems. So from that perspective, I would definitely say building in-house typically is, has been very important in most roles that I've worked at, including at startups. It's, unless you're a very e-commerce transaction Focused where you have something like Google Analytics that pieces it all together, and you have multi-touch attribution. I think most for most business models that are more complex, building it in-house becomes actually pretty critical because you're then able to measure activation. You're able to measure churn. And for example, in in my current company at Loom, activation happens when a different user watches your video. So when you have multiple users that are impacting each other's activation, that's also an example of why out of the box tools break down there? Break down,
0: absolutely. And obviously, I'm not. So the question was because I, I understood the answer, but uh, it's always interesting because of looking at your stack, you've chosen to buy certain services of building others. But uh, definitely, uh, like I see the point that you mentioned, or specifically, is like, are you able to actually action? on this information and how sophisticated do the questions that are coming through to you do it will give you a quick answer is it for you or not and also where are things going but definitely 100% agree with you like these out-of-the-box solutions depending on how complex your product like you can only hack them so much until they break so then last thing I think on this topic just to cover then would be you talked about like historical revenues historical LTV you touched on predicting LTV going forward talk us through what that would look like so you spent the good part of six months, maybe even a year, depending on how sophisticated your team was to get to this point now, and now you want to actually start predicting your LTV so you can actually understand the future revenues and what you can actually start spending from now on. So how do you get started? You have this model from, yeah, where do you go?
1: Yeah, so I think making sure that we have the historical LTV is, I would say, the foundation behind getting to a predictive LTV. I think a predictive LTV helps understand hey, we We just acquired a user. What do we think they're worth? And maybe we can predict five years out. And I think that that's something that makes sure that we understand the value of users and, and we're shifting focus more real time. And with predicting, it's one, as I mentioned, the key is having that historical data, but we need, I would say, a larger historical data or long enough history because a lot of the predictive models need, need enough history data uh, of, of the data to be able to predict because if you just do to, to simplify it if we look at the different curves and you could actually do this in, in in excel as well if you have a if you have curves you can i think it will display the equation of the chart of the curve so What that does is once you have the equation of the curve, then you can put in whatever value of which month and it'll predict, okay, what is the Y when you have the X and things like that. So you can pretty easily get to what the predictive value of LTV will be. So I think this is, uh, I'm just trying to simplify it because what I'm trying to get to is you can do very simple manual things in Excel. I think once you want it all automated and actionable, I think you want to build it in your data warehouse, make sure you have it in a, a uh, good dashboarding tool like Tableau or, or many others out there. But yeah, I would say the key is you're trying to find, is there an equation to my curve or to the historical data? And if there is, we can easily apply that. If there isn't a, a good one, I think that's where we need to dive deeper into why there isn't as a, a pattern with the data and that could be because of very little data or it could be because there were a lot of changes made with pricing and packaging there could be many other reasons but i think those are, that's just a, a high level
0: it becomes difficult to predict yeah so the, the question on this and as well like in the sense so you have your curves and you mentioned sort of one way of looking at it just like months that they signed up and then on previously as well you talked about like different uh, data points so like the channel that they came through like the geo and things like this when it comes to predictive models and looking at the future looking uh, LTV would you be segmenting then by these channels again and saying okay what does the future LTV look like for this cohort so if they sign up now it's month zero for them you're looking at the attributes then so you're looking at okay they came from Facebook they came from this country and then you're looking at the past performance of that country and that geo and then you're able to predict uh, going forward is that like the simplest uh, explanation you could yeah. exactly
1: so a lot depends on the granularity that you're trying of the, your data and then you try to piece them together to to try to. Uh, and then obviously the more granular project.
0: you go, the less likely you are to have uh, the data that you need. Exactly. To and that's partly why
1: I projects. suggest starting with the monthly is because you can go to the daily level. It's just, I think we want to make sure we get the bigger picture right before we dive into the details. And with details, I think once you have LTV, you could have things like, Hey, these, this user is high LTV. Maybe we should put the sales team uh, in front of them or they, or, or or maybe there's a high chance that, you know, we that this uh, will convert better. So I think you can create personalized experiences within the product based on which channel they're coming from and, and what their intent may be
0: maybe and the next question i think on top of this just following the lines of ltv so i think when it comes to acquisition most businesses like they will see some level of seasonality when it comes to acquiring new customers so typically like over the december holiday period you would see a dip in acquisition and maybe sometime as well like march april holidays you see another small dip or or summer holidays which is like august i think in northern hemisphere well no i think it is and i'm interested though as well that's obviously one thing acquisition but when it comes to ltv do you see similar trends of like months where users are being acquired have you seen this in the past or is ltv not really affected by seasonality because it's blended in over time
1: i think typically there has been little less seasonality involvement just because you're looking at how users retention over time and while the absolute number of signups may be lower in december and may, while while some of the engagement may be lower I think if you are, for example, a subscription-based business, the subscription keeps renewing. Keeps renewing. So or, or it's, so. I think that's where it depends on the type of business. I think e-commerce gets hit harder than subscription businesses with seasonality. Absolutely.
0: Cool. Jeez, I see we're running up on time already. So I'm going to save it for two last questions for today. One question I ask every guest uh, that joins the show. Uh, a hypothetical scenario now. Let's imagine you join a new company. And you arrive at this company, churn and retention is not doing good at all. And the CEO comes to you and says, Harini, we really need to turn things around. We have 90 days to decrease churn and increase retention. It's up to you to solve this. Like you have to save uh, the company. You're not going to do the typical things of going and speaking to customers and understanding the problems and looking at the data. Like you just need to pick one thing from your past that you've seen that's worked effectively and run with it. Like." What would be that actionable item you'd want to implement at the company?
1: Yeah, I think um, churn is definitely one of the hardest problems um, to solve because you're trying to change people's mind or behavior. And I think, and, and typically it's a very lagging indicator, right? It's not a leading one. I think with churn and retention, I think one of the things that has truly helped in the past has been understanding the factors for churn. And uh, this has been like a churn, like uh, my team has built churn prediction models in the past, which will predict whether user will churn or not. And we use machine learning models to build some of that. But I think the key behind it though, is what are the key factors for churn? Because if you understand what are those key indications and clues that we see earlier on in their journey that get them there, I think you can try to mitigate that earlier on. So I would say there have been a few different things based on some of those churn factors. Some have been where we have fed in a lot of this RFM type of segmentation, which is recency, frequency, and monetary type of segmentation, and feed that into your email tools and other tools that can then have personalized messages based on where you are in your life cycle. If you are a dormant VIP, you may get a different set of communication or emails to try to get you more engaged again. So I would say there's a little bit of that creating that segmentation and understanding who are the people who are going to churn and making sure that you have all the systems in place to make sure you're reaching out to them. I would say that's one. And then again, the other piece would be from the churn factors, making sure that we are addressing it with the product team to make sure that we get ahead of some of this. But the easier one, I would say, is probably getting our email set up.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Product changes take time, but like emails is something that you can if you have the the tech stack and you have good data. I think it's quite an easy one to get out and get up and running. Yeah. Great. So last question then. What's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew you got when you got started with your career?
1: That it's very hard to move. That the reality is I think it it, it took me a few years of experience and some working with a lot of different teams to I would say it's definitely a little bit more of that 80-20 where you need to put 80% of effort to get 20% of results. It's the flipped 80-20 to an extent. So I think it's definitely, it takes a village to move this mountain. So I think it's a very cross-functional effort between product marketing, sales, and all the teams to make sure that we are moving this. So it's not a quick experiment and we were, we solved it. So I would say that's the thing is, I think it's it definitely shows the health of the business. And it just uh, takes a while to get there. It's, it's been my learning, but it's the most important thing to focus on.
0: I love hearing that as well, especially coming from head of data at a company like Loom. And one of the main reasons well, that I think is because in the beginning, starting out this podcast, like one of the things that frustrated me was like, how we discovered this magical number, this silver bullet, and we all focused on that. And we reduced churn and we crushed our numbers. And I think. Whilst you might have an north star metric that is really helpful to get the team to learn it around it, as you mentioned, there's just so many different inputs. It's a lagging metric that's influenced by decisions maybe made months earlier, and really having that understanding that it's not just like one central thing that's going to make the difference, but really a concerted effort. And as you mentioned, like it's going to take a village to move the mountain. It really takes the whole team to get things moving. So. I love that. Harini, is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything you'd like to share today? Like how can they keep up with your work?
1: Yeah, I think my final thoughts in general is with data. Keep it simple and treat your data team like your thought partners. And you'd be surprised by how much they're able to help you. That would be my my key is always keep things simple with data. And yeah, for anyone who wants to reach me, I am on LinkedIn. and My name is Harini Karthik. And yeah, I'm, please feel free to reach out and I'm happy to answer any more questions.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Harini, for joining. I really appreciate your time today and wish you best of luck now going forward.
1: Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks again.
0: Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts and more subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm also don't forget to subscribe to our show on itunes google play or wherever you listen to your podcasts if you have any feedback good or bad i would love to hear from you and you can provide your blunt direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm lastly but most importantly if you enjoyed this episode please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.